Okay, hello everyone. I'm Richard Broad and welcome to the Teach Hacks podcast. This podcast is an opportunity for teachers to learn and share best practice across a range of different topics in teaching and education. Today I'm in conversation with Gary Spracklin to talk all things technology. Gary is a head teacher at the Prince of Wales First School in Dorset and is Innovation Director at the Association for Learning Environments for the UK and Europe. He is also a member of the Department for Education's Education Technology Action Group and is a winner of former winner of the Southwest Digital Educator of the Year for his work on the use of technology with children with physical disabilities. At Gary's previous school, he led an introduction to the first large-scale one-to-one deploy- deployment of Google Chromebooks in Europe, and these experiences have led to him being one of the go-to figures in the UK for technology in schools. So Gary, it's quite an introduction. <laughs> Thank uh, you, Richard. Yeah, and testament to your, your knowledge and skills uh, in, in education and technology in particular. Uh, but the first thing I want to ask you about is you once set a homework uh, to send your kids out into the snow and play. <laughs> if you could tell me a little bit about yeah, that. Yeah, I did. So um, in the recent snowy period, um, we did our best to stay open as a school. Um, I always feel it's important that um, where possible, the school remains open. However, um, I was the last school in Dorset to announce that we were, well, I say announce, make the decision that ultimately it wasn't safe to open our school premises. Um, and that gave me the thought of, well, what are we going to do to um, engage learning on a snow day? So uh, I did set up a video um, asking my children to at their breakfast table that morning um, to complete a range of very important homework because obviously the school was closed but work shouldn't stop. Um, and um, I think their reaction was was probably quite dour at the time of hearing the first announcement but then when it was followed by I want you to go out in the snow, make a snow angel, have a snowball fight, I think there was delight in the, uh, that task that had been set them and you know that probably encapsulates really for me um, the importance of community in school, the importance of fun, the importance of engagement and the importance of using what's around you at the time and if we have a snow day why not make the most of it for learning. Absolutely, <laughs> completely agree and I bet the kids enjoyed it. Yeah, lot. they very much did and we had lots of photos that were sent in and uh, we shared that through our social platform and uh, yeah, it helped foster that sense of community really well. It's interesting, instantly I'm hearing you talk so much about like you're doing videos and using a social platform, like it's a lot of things that schools aren't mm-hmm. necessarily doing as effectively. Yeah, for me it's always been natural to go into the environments where I find my parents um, and you know, in, in in previous decades that may have been, I don't know, rocking up at the pub or popping down to the cafe and having a conversation with the people where they are, but now we find so many of our parents on social media for whatever reason, and I think there's a wonderful opportunity for, for schools to connect with their um, key clients, if you will, or key users um, of their service, um, and social media provides a wonderful way to do that. Um, it provides a way that can be accessed anytime, anywhere, on any device. Um, you can you can access it for a little bit of time, or you can access it for a long time, and you can provide a wealth of support there for parents in developing learning and learning habits at home. And we've been using social media here at this school since about 2010, when we launched our Facebook page back in 2012. We were one of the first schools in um, the country to launch its own iPhone app. Um, where we were pushing social content through a blogging platform to parents um, in a way that was accessible on their own devices, which worked really, really well. 
and for me there's something wonderful about parents being able to interact with the school at any time of the day you know increasingly we have more and more families where all adults in the family are working um, and they can't necessarily fit in with the traditional patterns of a school day to come and see something so why not be able to catch up on something when you get back from work why not be able to have that conversation at the dinner table saying oh look I've seen that you were learning about this today I've read your teacher's blog you know what how can we find out more about that at home and I think there's a real joy to that and a real engagement factor that really has a long-term impact definitely amazing and so there's a lot of teachers out there teachers and schools out there who aren't particularly good at engaging through sort of digital space so what advice would you give to them as like a, a starting point yeah for me it's all about small steps um, I always say to people go where you feel comfortable if you're someone that in your personal life uses Facebook or Twitter for your own personal use start in those platforms first because you've already broken the barrier of the technology being the issue because you can use those platforms already for your own use obviously set up a professional profile and set up an institution profile if you're a, you know a school that are looking to do those sorts of things and just start off really small just share one thing even if you share you know your notices board that you have traditionally maybe at the front of the school and we, we still have one, we've got a whiteboard out the front of the school that every Monday morning I write the notices up on because not all our families are on social media so we still put things out in a traditional format as well but now every morning when I write on that whiteboard I also take a photo and put it on Facebook so I instantly have a bigger audience for the people that are um, out there and for me that you know if you just started with that, that that could deliver real impact for one or two families and I think that's what we should be looking at, we should be looking at making small gains and then for me, um, it's about distributing the responsibility and giving people trust to represent your organisation in a public space. You do that anyway, because your teachers go out at the weekend and talk to people, presumably, they don't just sit in a, room, in a darkened room. Um, and your brand is what other people say about you. That's what they always say in marketing, isn't it? And you know, we, maybe it's a dirty word using the word brand in schools, but you know, we, maybe another word would be identity or culture and ethos you know these things are really important in the school to establish what your school represents and social media allows you a platform to show that you know, if you're an inclusive school promote the fact that you're inclusive through social media if you're a school that um, you know has has a very strict policy for X, Y or Z make sure it's really clear through your social media um, it, it enables you a, it gives you a chance to multiply your message and provide clarity and also um, a, an opportunity for people to question that and gain further insight through their questioning and I think that's quite powerful as well in that it's much better that parents can interact than allow something to fester and one thing I always say to colleagues is that you may not currently have a presence an official presence on social media but your school will have a presence already on social media and my question to school leaders would be who is currently controlling the message about your school online is it your parent community is it the people that really don't like your school or is it people that are passionate about your school and I feel it's much it's important for schools to be in that space to engage in the conversation and to put across their own message to the people that are ultimately going to be using it anyway mm. whether you like it or not it's really interesting yeah um, and so you're obviously like very interested in technology and all the stuff you've done. What what's led you to this point? Like, what's what's if you given a quick overview of your career and what's so happened up until this point? For me, I've always enjoyed using technology to engage and innovate learning. Um, I've always enjoyed using the multimedia elements of technology, um, and even from my very first teaching placements, when um, I recall when I was. Uh, 
in, in my second year at university, I, I, I worked at a school in Farnborough, who at the time had just had their interactive whiteboards installed. So this is, you know, um, revolutionary for that school at the time. They, up until that point, they they'd only had the overhead projectors, and uh, uh, it was a new thing to have the interactive whiteboards in place. And for whatever reason, I just had the confidence to to use them. Um, I, d I wasn't afraid of them. I didn't know how to use them. We just got on them and just started touching everything, um, like a child would, I suppose. Um, and uh, from that, I ended up while I'm placement at university leading county training for the teachers in the area about how to use the interactive whiteboards because no one had, had uh, no one in that area at the time had really s sat and thought how can we get the best out of this technology for learning and how can we engage learning using the platforms that are available and for me it's always started with learning it's always been about how can we use technology to inspire the children to go deeper and further so um I carried that on when I became an NQT and I did at the time I was doing work with things like it was like back then it was kind of the voting handsets that you used to get in the classroom mm -hmm. and I remember doing some work with those and doing some basic work on things like web quests at the time and building powerpoints that were in some way interactive so you kind of got those situation stories where you went off with hyperlinks down different routes and you know that was kind of when ICT was probably at its at its height um, before things and at that time schools were given funding through the Harness and Technology Grant and there was a lot of IT in schools that a lot of people didn't know how to use mm -hmm. so I found a niche working through that and enjoyed working with other schools to promote their use of technology. Um, I came here um, prior to being head teacher and prior to my previous role um, I was also a teacher at the school so um, this is going back kind of seven eight years ago I was here um, and I was ICT coordinator here and at that time we, technology was moving to become more mobile and I remember back then being given a budget which at the time seemed huge for a kind of I don't know third year teacher or whatever it was second year teacher I think my head teacher gave me £5,000 to go and buy some devices and, and I really agonised over how to spend that money wisely for the school and I literally spent all year making a decision about what to spend that money on and I learned a lot through that experience in that actually I wasted a year in that oh, at the time I should have just gone and bought something um, rather than nothing. Um, and I ended up buying iPads and they were a great investment for the school. And in fact, some of those iPads are still being used today in this building because they were, you know, that they've lasted the test of time um, and were a good purchase. But I do regret not being braver with the finance when it was available. Um, and obviously increasingly these days it's not available but when the opportunities do arise I think we need to be bold and I think we need to realise that whatever we do we can get benefits if we put enough effort into it for learning don't get me wrong we can spend money in a wise way and get bigger outcomes but there's nothing worse than just sitting on things and doing nothing so from that point really I've been a lot braver in how I've approached things I've taken more risks, and you mentioned in your introduction there was the first. I led the first large-scale deployment of one-to-one -one Chromebooks in the country, and that was a big that was a big risk. You know, no one else had done that um, across Europe, but the benefits we saw for the benefits we could see, as a sorry, the potential benefits we could see for learning were huge. So uh, we went with it, and we learned a lot from that project, and a, and a lot a lot was gained from that project. So. Um, my my ethos and culture now with technology is to be braver, is to try things, is to explore 
um, and to keep pushing the boundaries of what might be possible while always being reflective and acknowledging that some things don't work and some things are just there as a gimmick while other things can have a real powerful long-term impact. And what I've found increasingly with technology in schools is that for me, um, and you, I suppose you kind of said at the beginning in how I spoke about how I use technology, it, it is increasingly becoming second nature to do things mm -hmm. opposed to it being seen, in, certainly in my eyes, as innovative. So um, the use of social media, the extensive use of video, um, the engagement of parents through online platforms and um, various online tools for tracking student performance in mass or using it to push reading forward with a scheme like Accelerated Reader or something like that. For me, that is now second nature. And uh, a couple of years ago at the BET conference, which is an annual conference that's held every year in London, it's the largest educational technology fair, a good friend of mine, Anne Nock, who um, is the former vice principal of the Sydney Centre for Innovation and Learning. She was on the stage doing a panel discussion and uh, she was asked about, you know, is technology in schools essential? And her reply was that technology in schools should be like electricity. It should always be there. Um, and you should just be able to turn it on when you need it. And that kind of really encapsulates what my vision for technology is as well. Um, and normally I just steal that quote without acknowledging Anne, so I thought I'd better <laughs> acknowledge Anne today. I've got the rights to use that in the Northern Hemisphere. She's got the Southern Hemisphere, so uh, being down in Australia. No, but for me, it, for me, it does capture really well what what good use of technology should look like. We don't have any discussions in schools these days about having electro electricity in the building. Um, you wouldn't walk into a classroom and expect there to be no lights. So why should you walk into a classroom and expect there to be no technology? And in the same way, you wouldn't expect every child to sit there in front of a lamp pointing at their face. I wouldn't expect to walk into a classroom and see every child sat at a laptop screen. Um, and to me, that's kind of my worst nightmare of technology in schools is children sat in rows all day long, mm -hmm. just looking at screens and being taught instructionally through, through a device. That, for me, isn't what educational technology should be about. It, educational technology should be representative of how technology is used in the real world. You know, we're sat here now um, across the table. You've got your laptop out and your phone, and I've got my phone out. You know, um, it's not distracting us from the process. It's 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 enabling this process in that a recording is being made, um, and we've confidently done that. You've not. You know, spent the first ten minutes reading a manual of how to record something. You obviously haven't been looking you've, at me, guys. <laughs> <laughs> you've obviously uh, you've obviously done this before, but um, increasingly we find that with children, there's a confidence with technology from children, um, and there's a real opportunity for schools to harness that. Um, and the great thing about children is that they don't care what they're using, they don't care about what device it is or what platform it uses. They just really want to use the technology to support their learning and to engage in their learning. Um, and I think if we can build that interest at an early age, and you know, I work in the first school here now, um, have experience of working in an all through environment with, with um, pupils up to sixth form age, but currently working with children up to eight um, and nine. And what I find with these children is that they just get on with it. If you give them a clear structure to work in, mm they can really use technology to accelerate the speed and depth of their learning through using tools like 3P Learnings Mathletics or through Renaissance Learnings Accelerated Reader. We're able to mer merge um, 
traditional forms of learning with more progressive forms of learning. Um, and for me, there's a, there's a beauty in that balance um, of achieving a mix of traditional teaching with technology-rich learning to ensure that we deliver the very best outcomes. And it looks different for different children. Some children with special educational needs need the support of technology to record their writing. Um, we have children here with complex physical needs that need the aid of things like um, eye gaze systems because their cerebral palsy means that they can't use a keyboard or a pen but they can operate a computer using their eyes. So technology like that is really changing people's lives and I think that, that in itself is very powerful. Um, so for me it's been a long journey um, and I think in some respects it's a journey that, that is just starting because I think as more and more confidence develops around seeing these tools in school and as the costs involved become cheaper and cheaper you know I was in the shop at the weekend and we just had Black Friday and Cyber Monday and things like that and they were selling an Amazon fire tablet a seven inch tablet for 30 pound and it's like you know that device you could you could put you know the whole British Library on it you know it, it's there um, in in the palm of your hand for 30 pound you know and if you want to go even cheaper than that you can pick up second-hand devices of the same make and kind for for 10 15 pound online and mm. it's it is you know almost it's becoming we're, we're, we're moving to a situation where the where devices will become virtually free you know that's and I think I think I'm personally and my, my belief is Amazon as a company will move to that model because all the revenue is generated through the app sales that, that go through the platform so you know it, it's it's ever it's an ever-increasing possibility that will move down that line and for me you know children do not care what operating system they're using um, just like when you walk into Tesco's and you use the self-service checkout tool you don't look at it and go oh is this running Windows or is this running is this running Mac OS or is this running Android you just get on and use it because you've got a task to complete and um, if we look at you know, at a basic level, educational technology being a transactional process of um, completing a quiz to show you've got a level of understanding. So that's that's the basics of using Renaissance Learning's Accelerated Reader. The children read a book that's been given to them at their level, um, and they read that in the traditional sense. You know, they actually open a book and read a normal book, and at the end of that, they pick up a device and they take a th they take a comprehension test on it. You know, and that's looking at a very kind of basic level of educational technology, but the power of that in augmenting what is a traditional task of reading a book to being one in which gives them instant feedback about how well they've read that book. Um, it gives them pointers about what books to read next. You know, that side of things is really powerful, and we've introduced that tool here in September, and the engagement in reading has gone through the roof, you know, particularly amongst boys who have traditionally been harder to reach because of the competitive nature of it, because they can track how many pages they've read or how many words they've read. Um, they can gain points for reading books. And I think that's really powerful um, and it's something that we should seek to harness more. Um, Tom Chatterfield did a great TED talk a number of years ago now on the gamification of learning. And he, he you can find it on, on, on TED or you can find it on YouTube. Um, and he went into the theory behind how games are designed and how if you're playing a game the game will adapt to your ability um, to ensure that you stay hungry basically that you want to stay part of the game if you're finding it too easy then a game is rubbish and it, equally if it's too hard you're going to walk away from it um, and software now adapts 
to make it just right, the, just the right conditions. And he, he, you know, he was making the argument, what, what if we could do that for learning? What if we could adapt our instruction and adapt our challenge to ensure that we kept in that ultimate optimum range of keeping children hungry about learning? And I think there's a real, we, we have a real issue in this country with maintaining engagement in learning. Um, and it's become a it's become a bit of a dirty word engagement, um, specifically on you know at, at key stage four and key well key stage three, key stage four, and key stage five, that in some way teachers no longer have to engage their children. That they should just there should be an expectation that learning's tough and we should just get on with it. And um, well, it's a child's responsibility to come in and uh, consume what the teacher presents to them. And for me, that that works against everything that we promote across an early years foundation stage and primary ethos of really opening new worlds to children and, and being there to enhance their interests in particular areas. And I, you know, I completely appreciate that at the end we need to push everyone through these thin pipes to to to, to separate them and segregate them into into bandings that uh, that are nationally accredited qualifications and whatever. But you can do that, if you have to, in a way that is engaging and is creative. And I think there is a real value in doing that because it is far more inclusive and far more beneficial to the long-term health of the community in which you're working. And I think mm -hmm. there's a real sense for me that schools that are forgetting that are creating a long-term impact um, which we won't we, which we won't see for many years um, and that's why you know the work that I do I, I feel so passionate about sharing and engaging with others others in because I can see that deep down so many of the you know the teachers and, and the wider professionals that I work with went into this job not to deliver data but to deliver the next generation of children that mm. can go on and do better than we have and for me that's that's the moral purpose really that's that's the reason why you know I get up in the morning and, and do what I do it's not so that my school can have the best data it's so that my children can be prepared to move on and do the best that they can do and uh, we've done a huge amount of work in this school about independence in learning um, because my preschool here and my reception class do a wonderful job in building young children's independence in their learning yet when I get into a year four classroom um, in January last year people walked up to me and went I haven't got a pen and I went well what do you want me to do about that without being rude but you know that's not my responsibility um, and that would never happen in my early years environment mm -hmm. and it's not just about the pen um, because you know I recognize independent learning is much more than just being organized with your stationery but it highlighted for me the difference between a good early years classroom where children have the independence and flexibility to choose their activity, to engage in their learning, to use technology, to um, manipulate um, a range of different operations and equipment and resources to a space where we just sit children in rows and, and ask them to answer questions. And mm. you know, the reality here was that my year fours were working at a greater depth mainly um, across quite challenging subject content. At the time we were reading, um, we, were reading the, um, we were reading The Secret Garden, a classic text, and you know, a really challenging text for eight-year-olds you know, to engage in. And they were doing great with that and answering questions, but 
they couldn't organize the basics of their own independent learning which which really which really struck with me and I think um, is something that we should all seek to do more and then we, we were on another day we were reading the Rowies the, um, the Rowie children and a child came up to me and said uh, how do you spell Roberta and he had the book in his hand and I was like have a think about how you might be able to do that and this you know and it's really awkward because as a teacher it's just easier to say it's in the book but I didn't say that I said just think how could you work that out and he went on for like five minutes, this boy just kind of looking at me. And then the penny drops, this light bulb moment happened. He's like, it's in the book. And I was like, <laughs> yeah, it's in the book. And he went away and did it. And I think for us, when we're in an environment where we've got increasing challenge from standards and we've got increasing expectation on what we should be doing with falling budgets and ever increasing um, expectations and all sorts of areas, I think we can sometimes get lost in terms of what's important and those light bulb moments for me are the most important things and how we achieve those you know whether it's through technology or for other means are, are is really important that we allow the time and the space for that to happen i think it's always that's all really interesting i think a lot of secondary teachers listening especially will um sort of relate to that where's the pen yeah you know and like you say it's not about the pen but it's the independence of it or the lack of independence um and it's i'm generalizing here obviously but there's a lot of good work that goes on in primary schools more generally in your case first school um that then also gets lost as you go up through the uh, through year groups and um, you mentioned accelerated learning and a couple of other programs you use mm -hmm. um what so if you were going to walk into a classroom if i was going to walk in or any teacher was going to walk in today into a classroom and see what you consider to be good practice of using technology in 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 that space for the children's learning what would what would you expect to see for me it's having access to a browser so that you've got the world available to you um, and for me that's using google google chromebooks as a platform or another tablet device that has a browser available on it um, because once you provide that opportunity to access the world really every other tool is available to you um, so getting those devices into the room for me is really important supporting that with things that you don't see like a good infrastructure and good connection is important because there's no point having you know 20 devices in the room and then it taking you know five minutes to load a web page you've got to have that backbone of um, good connectivity and good infrastructure that sits there and that includes you know your basics such as filtering and um, firewalls and things like that that are more technical that need to be assured and in place um, beyond that the ability for children to share their work is really important so whether that is sharing in an online context so having a class blog or a class twitter feed that you can post content to so that children recognize that there will be somebody looking at their work and there's some great projects out there um, there's projects from people like david mitchell doing quad blogging which allows you to connect puts four schools together and then every week, each of the four schools commits to look at one, one of those schools' blogs. So every four weeks, you've got an audience of 120 people that are going to be looking at your work as a, as a class. And that's really powerful. And obviously, you then repay the favour by going around. So that's a great project to get involved in. There's projects like the 100 Word Challenge from Julia Skinner. And every week, Julia sits, sets a, a visual stimulus, or an, which could be um, a video or a picture or even an audio stimulus. Um, and encourages children to write 100 words based upon what, what she's, what, what's seen there. 
and then Julia has an army of people that will then go on and comment on people's blogs about the 100 word challenge and they will offer advice on how they can improve their writing. Mm -hmm. So for me, having uh, an opportunity to share your work is really important. And then um, that's in a virtual context, but being able to display in class is quite powerful as well, obviously. So having display technology, whether that is um, interactive screens or for me, more commonly just TVs in the classroom because they provide a much more affordable option. Mm -hmm. So in this school, we've removed all of our interactive whiteboards and replaced them with um, high definition televisions um, that are on trolleys. So they provide complete flexibility. So at the moment, finance wise, we can only afford one in each room, but I would advocate having more in each room um, if it's appropriate. So that if a TA is working with a group, she can put up what she wants to display and equally a child can put up something that they want to display as well. So having rich display technology is important. Um, I would encourage the importance of that being flexible because then you can pull it together if you need to for an event. So we had examples last year where we had science fair in the hall and children had made videos at home as part of that process. And because we've got six TVs and trolleys around the room, we're able to, around the school, we're able to pull six into the hall and have that as part of our display. So just having mm -hmm. that flexibility to um, move your resources around and support that is, is really important. Um, the, you know, one thing that I've always um, highly kind of recommended is use of a visualizer. Um, and that goes back to that whole notion of using technology as a fusion with traditional methods and for me there's nothing it's a lot more powerful for a teacher to model um, say improving a piece of work on a large display using an actual book and an actual piece of work than some kind of fake piece of work they put on PowerPoint before and then, then try and use one of those dodgy pens to write around it so just having a simple visualizer and you can pick them up now for sort of 30 40 pound um, to do the job or obviously you can go kind of high-end and they can go up to a thousand pounds um, that you probably see in a kind of university lecture hall or something like that. Um, that's really powerful um, and really simple and actually is a great way to engage teachers that do not like using educational technology. Just give them a visualizer and they'll be really happy because mm -hmm. they can put they can put their normal work out and you actually say to them, look, you don't have to make a PowerPoint, you don't have to make a flip board chart or whatever it used to be, note notebook chart. You can just use pen and paper, but the whole class can see and that's that's really powerful. The ability to record, and you know, I'd really encourage if you are going to do something on the visualizer, just record it. You know, that that plenary session that you're doing, where you're picking out the fact that children haven't used a fronted fronted a verb or you know, whatever it may be, and you want that to be a focus for your class, just stick a just stick a screen recorder on your laptop, record that. How for how, five how is easy is that sort of thing to so do? So screen recorders, it? you know, you can get browser-based screen recorders now, things like Screencast. Or if you're using a Mac, something like QuickTime, you can do a screen record. Um, there's obviously Windows versions out there as well. And it's very simple. And a screen recorder essentially is, records everything that's happening on your screen at that moment in time. And you can also ask it to record your audio. So as you're talking to the children in the plenary saying, look, let's look at this child's piece of work or let's look at my piece of work. What haven't I included? What do I need to include? You know, record two, three minutes of that, put it on the blog. You know, you've got parents then that know what you're doing in class. And equally, children that can go away, can look at it, can reflect on it, can have a go again. And uh, failing that, it's a great starter for the next lesson. You know, just to put in when people are settled, settling down, you can have that playing as a, as a focus. This is what we did last lesson. So, um, and that's really quick. And what I'm increasingly finding is that that kind of rawness of this is what it looks like 
um, opposed to doing something really polished where you've kind of rehearsed what you're going to say on a video and you've built you know flashy animations people actually prefer that kind of raw nature of it you know that fly on the wall documentary kind of style mm -hmm. approach um, because it's much more genuine it's much more real people feel that they can achieve it and equally if you make a mistake just own up to it and say look I made a mistake they're going to go back and change that that's much more powerful and you know going back to the discussion we we're talking about earlier on parental engagement and use of social media my parents much prefer when I do little live videos you know say oh you know I'm here we're doing some work this weekend on improving the outside space come along down you know and it's not it's not polished but it's genuine and it's real and mm. people want to be real and connected and I read something at the weekend about communities and how increasingly people are searching for their community you know family is becoming more distributed as a model and you know where perhaps religion once provided a community for people that is perhaps now less of an emphasis in some people's lives and how schools and universities and learning institutions can provide a sense of community to people and a sense of connection and how increasingly schools are running events out of school hours and through different platforms and through different mediums to galvanize people and and give them that sense of belonging and i think you can do that at a micro scale with your class and there's no doubt about it children love belonging to a class where the teacher wants to be there you know and wants to show that they want to be there and we all remember back to our probably you know thinking about secondary education in particular where you've got multiple teachers across a week or a fortnight um, you knew which classes you liked going to and it's because the, the teacher wanted to be there and it made you feel part of a group for being there and I think there was that sense of community and you always got that sense of you know about form groups and tutor groups and the kind of the cohesive nature around those and those ones that would really um, fire were those that had a real sense of community about them and I think there's something powerful to be said about that and uh, it's why you know we spend a lot of time talking about you know pastoral groupings and houses and structures like that in 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 a key stage three and four environment in particular because there's there's real power and energy in that and if we can harness that at whatever phase of working by being collaborative by being engaging then then that's a powerful point beyond that i think you know in terms of what technology you expect to see in school i think um technology you know in schools used, it used to be the place to be, schools used to be the place to go to see technology if you think back to the late 80s early 90s if you wanted to you know when when the internet was first available it was available in educational institutions you know it was available in universities and libraries and schools and if you wanted to find something out you know I've got press clippings that I use in presentations for other events and um, there's there's posters that says if you'd like to use the internet you can come to the library at Thursday at three o'clock and we're going to have a go on it. it it was kind of like a collaborative process and I remember being at school and um, I didn't have a computer at home I don't I don't think I, I had a PC in my house till about year nine at school kind of thing we, we, we had it quite late my first operating system was Windows 98 I don't remember anything prior to that so I've always I've always worked off a kind of graphical user interface I don't I don't recall a time of command line code or anything like that mm. so that's always been my experience and I remember you know being kind of a year six student and CD-ROMs being a massive thing and I remember 
having the opportunity and it was like across a term every child would have half an hour where they were allowed to go onto the computer and print a photo off of CD-ROM and that was like a massive deal at the time and uh, it's funny because where technology used to you used to go to find the most innovative technology was schools that's now completely reversed you know and increasingly children have got much better technology at home than they do at school and that for me particularly when you're working with older students poses a massive question about children using their own devices for specific purposes and I would always advocate that schools should seek to harness the power of children's technology in their pockets in the classroom um, by supporting things like bring your own device but it's no good just bringing it you've got to use it so I've always said using my own devices is the terminology that should be used but just like anything it's about appropriate use you know in the same way that if a child was bringing a pencil to school every day to stab someone with it then that wouldn't be an appropriate use of the pencil mm -hmm. so you would tell them not to bring it or you would find a way of managing their use of a pencil um, and the same way with a mobile phone if a child's bringing a mobile phone to school and they spend the whole time just on it on social media you know doing the latest I don't know what they call them filters on Instagram or whatever then that's not an appropriate use so for me it's about teaching that appropriate balance finding the right way to do that and it may just be that okay your phone's off in your bag unless your teacher tells you to take it out and use it for a specific task like I want to take a photo of the work that we've just done so that you can go home and revise from it or whatever it may be and I think that's really powerful and I appreciate all the concerns around that but schools need to have a grown-up conversation with their pupils and they need to trust their pupils and engage their learners on it um, in order to facilitate what is something that happens in everyday practice we're both sat here with our phones out now um, and you will go into any office environment and find that phones are on the tables you know but then when you go into a meeting people tend to put them on silent you know tend they're to, tend to yeah, they're <laughs> meant to um, so it's about learning that etiquette and well, where do we teach children that if we don't if we don't do it in school and I think that's for me is something that we need to be stronger about and I think we need to be braver about and we need to kind of engage more. The other side of it is the other bits of technology, which I can't, you know, afford to buy. We just recently did a, um, we did a act of remembrance here, where all the children wore red and black, and we made a giant poppy on the field, uh, a human poppy, um, and I wanted a drone to record that. Now we can't afford. We can't just. Actually, we could. We could afford. Can't justify to buy a drone for just that purpose. I would love to. Um, but you know, I definitely there'll be some financial scrutiny on the fact that I spent a thousand pound on a drone when I'm only spending X amount of pound on books, maybe. <laughs> but um, we just put a call out into our community, and in this setting, it was in, it turned out being our trainee teacher that had one. But but a couple of our parents said, "Yeah, I've got a drone that you can borrow." Um, but in a secondary setting, it might be the pupils that turn around and say, "I've got this." And I've worked in you know a deprived community before where I took students on a trip to London, thinking, and I told them they could bring their own devices with them. And kids turned up with some of the most, you know, more expensive kit than I was using as a as the leader of a technology in schools person, and they these people were from, you know, people premium families, low income families. Mm. Yet somehow, priorities they managed to prioritise the fact they needed a GoPro Hero Nine, you know, a four hundred pound HD camera with them. And, you know, I'm not going to go into the kind of reasons why they had that, but if they've got it, why don't we use it? Why don't we make a positive use of that at appropriate times? I'm not saying. It should be out all the time, but schools increasingly are look should look to make use of their community and what's available within their community mm. and share resources. 
and I, I do hear I, I haven't heard of an example in Dorset yet but I'm hearing increasing examples of libraries that are offering technology loan services and that certainly happens in universities you can go and check out the equipment that you need and happened when I was at university you used to hire stuff out um, and uh, share the cost of the fact that things can be expensive in those areas so I think there's a real value in that one one thing I'd encourage schools to do is especially primary schools is um, speak to the local college or local secondary school or university about 3d printers because for me at the moment there's not real justification for a primary school unless you've got a, a large primary school and you're doing a lot of CAD work in year five and six maybe there's not a strong justification mm -hmm. to buy a 3d printer but there's a strong justification for a secondary school to buy one so why not make use of their resource as a primary school to say we're going to show the children what this technology is and how it can be used i'm working on a project here in dorset at the moment where we're working we're looking to work with tesco's to um, host a virtual reality headset um, pack basically of 16 or 32 devices mm. because it's a sort of technology that i cannot see being used every day in a classroom but I can imagine using it once a term or once a year to provide inspiration on a particular topic that can be hard to explore otherwise. You know, I can't take my group to the Amazon rainforest. I can't take my class to explore the solar system, mm -hmm. but I can using virtual reality and that technology has come down so much in price now and is so easy to use that I can really see the benefit of it being used now and again in the classroom. But why would I purchase a set as a school? Why don't I? put a small amount of money into a set that can be used by the community and the work we're doing with Tesco's is looking at working with a local care provider who will use it in care homes with people with dementia as well as us using it in the classroom with, with children so we're looking at about 20 organizations putting in a couple of hundred pounds and that being available on a loan basis for a book online booking system so and te Tesco taking responsibility to service the devices and keep them clean basically mm. so um, and that, that's a project that will come off and we're moving towards making that happen and I think is a good example of how quite new and emerging technologies can be used in an engaging way but not in a way that will completely consume everything that's gone before mm. and I think that's sometimes people's scepticism with technology they think that if we're going to use virtual reality in schools that all of a sudden we're going to be walking into a classroom and every child's going to have them on all day long you know we're not living in the matrix that's not going to happen you know we need to be realistic about using things little and often in a way that best supports the task that you're doing and mm -hmm. if you can provide extra engagement um, and enjoyment in learning then why not you know why not do that and i've had various demos of vr and every time i do it i'm it the technology seems to move forward and be more engaging and more creative i had a meeting last week with, with the dorset healthcare trust and they're they're working with an american-based company to use virtual reality to as a as a, on, on prescription to combat phobias and fears and as an alternative form of counselling. So um, it's, a, it's very much an emergent technology, but you know if you've got someone that has a fear of driving or a fear of public speaking, you can provide an immersive experience which enables them to become familiar with working in that environment. It's a safe environment safe to environment. practice, yeah, isn't it? exactly. So um, yeah. that in itself is quite interesting. And then obviously in education, where it's used the most is in things like um, in higher education and in vocational when the errors that you could potentially make could could kill someone in the case mm. of health you know and you can practice on a, a virtual yeah. you know 
heart instead of a real one um, when you're doing heart surgery. Or I've seen I've seen examples where you you have virtual welding, in fact, virtual underwater welding and things like that, where the conditions for welding are very extreme, but you know very important to our economy and things like that. Mm. You know to be able to be, build those skills for the future, but reduce the costs in doing so because the the whole health and safety and the potential for errors is so large that doing it in virtual reality makes much more sense. So I think you know that's at the extreme end and not the end that I'm working at, but it kind of represents how technology is having an impact across the sector. And I think that mm. for me is exciting. Mm. That's great. So what, what I'm hearing is your big thing, it's all about access to technology for students. Yeah. Um, and it's, I, th I think, really interesting is the, the parental engagement side or the community engagement side of things with the opportunities that that provides having an active presence online. Um, yeah, definitely. And I think and that I think can the, be... The different things you can bring in through that as well. It can be face-to-face -face as well. So when we were on Portland, we did a project called Digital Families with Bournemouth University and the Centre for Excellence in Media Practice there. Um, and that was linked with Samsung and Asta Housing at the time. So looking at Asta Housing residents, the so people living in social housing, how we can engage them in what essentially were quite traditional parent uh, workshop sessions, so parent development sessions. Um, looking at basic skills around behaviour management, healthy eating, um, CV writing, all of those kind of life skill things mm. that traditionally we struggle to get people to um, if they need it. Um, and the use of technology was used as a way of breaking down the barriers. So when you say to someone, would you like to come in and design a robot and print it in 3D and have a CV working shop, writing workshop, you found a lot more people attended. And the relative costs involved compared to, I don't know, putting tea or coffee on or providing free transport were very similar, but the impact was much bigger. Um, and what we saw is parents, we did, an, we did an animation workshop with parents, and the engagement that they had with their children and, and the conversations and the relational development that was going on was so much power, more powerful than if we just did a traditional parent workshop game yeah. kind of thing. So augmenting things, um, and enhancing them using technology can be really powerful, even when looking at the most traditional of tasks of seeking to develop parenting skills or something like that. So um, and there's a paper available on the Kemp website. If you just type Digital Families Kemp, C-E-M-P, you'll be able to find that. Um, and it's a good research project um, that kind of explored the relative risks and rewards of using that kind of platform um, to engage families in a different way. Um, and yeah, you're right, it's about engagement, it's about not just the children, it's about the families as well, because they have such an impact in the everyday mm. development of their young people. Um, you know, we, we know the stats, you know, we can go right back to research from people like the Roundtree Foundation about the impact that home life has on children's development, mm. and uh, that's about getting the, the, the use of technology right at home as well you know and I'm, I'm not you know I'm not sat here with rose tinted glasses I recognize the challenge that sits with technology you know yesterday there was a um, there was a piece that went across the news about Frankie and Benny's banning I don't know if you saw that in the, in the paper at all but Frankie and Benny's have introduced free children's meals for any parents that hand in their mobile phones at the door at Frankie and Benny's because they've done a survey and 70% of parents admitted to getting their mobile phone out while having a family dining experience at their restaurant um, and the, you know the argument being that that's having an effect on children's development of communication skills and I fully acknowledge that we've got to be careful with technology and that it doesn't 
consume us. Um, but while we need to be careful, we should also look to see the benefits that it can have as well. And I think mm. that's why for me, it's always been about appropriate use at appropriate times and maximizing that usage. And in some cases, you know, I would say that this school uses less technology than other schools, but it uses, when it does use it, it uses it for bigger impact. And that's for me is the biggest, you know, focus. I went into, I won't say where I went, but I went into a school this week and, you know, kids were just clicking through like kind of cool mass games and they had loads of computers out and the teacher clearly wasn't engaged in what was going on in the space and the kids were just almost being babysat by the, by the PCs. And I hear repeatedly people that are using kind of ICT lessons or ICT maths lessons or ICT English lessons for PPA cover. So they're just putting the children on machines. And for me, that's not what it's about. Um, you know, we, we, we don't do that here because it doesn't deliver the impact. When we do use technology, we use it for a targeted purpose and we, we expect to see an outcome from it. And I think that's what everyone that is embracing technology should be mindful of why you're doing it. You know, what, what, what is the outcome? And then make sure that you align that task with the outcome. Fantastic. Gary, it's been absolutely fascinating. Thank you so much no for chatting to me. It's always good to chat. Um, if you do have any more questions about what Gary and I have discussed uh, in this episode, then please do get in touch. You can tweet me at Rich M. Broad or tweet Gary at Nelkarps, which is N-E-L-K-C-A-R-P-S. Is there a story behind that? Yeah, name? it's my surname backwards. Ah, okay, there you go. <laughs> okay, so Gary Spracklin, Spracklin backwards, Nelkarps. Um, so join us next time to hear more teacher hacks shared by teachers for teachers.